listening to Spitball with Andrew Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Spitball. <laughs> I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows, and joining me as always, the one, the only, the master of all things innuendo, it's Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, buddy? I am good, yes. Thank you. Great to be here. But back in Plymouth, we're not live in Aylesbury now. No, I know. The holidays are well and truly over, huh? Back to reality. Indeed. So, if you remember, after last week's show, at the end of last week's show, I happened to mention that whether or not we would be coming back or not this week <laughs> would be down to our lovely listeners and readers of the Lowdown blog. And I'm pleased to say that uh, with a 66% vote... We are doing the podcast only uh, for the playoffs, Marcus. How do you feel about that? Oh, interesting. Interesting. No bloggy blog? No bloggy blog, no. Ooh, bloggy blog blog. Nope, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be purely just the podcast. So thank you to all of those who took the time to vote on our website we will be uh, bringing you the podcast only coverage of the playoffs starting this week with the wild card matches so marcus i ask as always shall we move on let's move on with the show <laughs> don't try and steal my smoothness boy <laughs> De- come back to back tenfold okay <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if that'll make it into you the have sound. Been, you have been warned. Yeah, boy. Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby. You're having one of those days. I say that to say this. If you wouldn't have did what you would have did, then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Put the shoe on! Put it on! Shit! I can't face with these gloves. I'm a teeth. They got to my tooth. Wish I had some gold so you can buy me some teeth. This week, in contrast to the last couple of weeks, I thought we should actually start with the NFC. So, show this week, going to break up into the two conferences. You'll be pleased to know we have the return of what's been grinding Marcus's gears. And we will also look forward to the upcoming divisional playoff matches. As I say, NFC is where we will start this week. So do we start with Arizona and Carolina or do we start with the big boy, the Cowboys and Lions match, Marcus? Uh, I think we start off with the biggest, do we? Ooh, I don't know. Do you want to build to the big one? Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's do my thunder. The innuendos are mine. Thank you very much. No, no, let's, let's, let's start off with a bang. <laughs> well, it's okay. The innuendos are back. I know a lot of people wanted to see the Pittsburgh rivalry game, hence why I guess um, the Pittsburgh-Baltimore was the, the late game. It's almost like you have like a concert and you always have a headline band. This just felt like a headline game. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the the Baltimore-Pittsburgh that you mentioned there, which we'll come on to later in the show, was the late Saturday night game. So that was almost like the warm-up act ready for the main event on Sunday primetime. Cowboys-Lions. 
where do you want to start with this one, matey? I suppose we should start with the first touchdown being the Golden Tate reception. Oh, wow. That was just... I mean, it was, it was perfectly done because they just kept, like, double-teaming um, Megatron, like, all night. Yeah, agreed. And, and most teams will, won't they? And this is what we said when they picked up Golden Tate, that, you know, having Megatron on the other side of the field really helps the likes of Golden Tate because all the focus is over at Megatron and Golden Tate, who is a great receiver himself, um, can get open and find the space. Absolutely. But what I really want to give Golden Tate uh, credit for is the hit, the block he threw um, on the Reggie Bush touchdown, the second touchdown. Yeah, it's a team game and you need your receivers to block downfield if you're going to get big plays or certainly big runs anyway. And yeah, great block. Just sealing off the corner there for, for Reggie Bush to sneak into the corner of the end zone. And that was, of course, the... Second touchdown to put Detroit up 14-0, which was a bit of a shocker for all of us. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a bit of a um, a gun uh, a gun match where it would just be like, uh, kind of like the start, we were saying last time, the start to the, um, the Washington Cowboys game where literally they just kept trading big, long bombs down the field. And when, when you saw the 51-yarder, you were wondering when the Cowboys were going to have one of their own. To be fair, though, we didn't have to wait long, really. Well, we had to wait a whole half, nearly, just outside of two minutes before finally Romo managed to connect with Terence Williams on uh, what looked like some kind of slant route into the middle of the field, uh, and Williams just turned on the burners and <laughs> and took it the rest of the way. Because he's been so quiet this year as well, with Des making such a um, song and dance, and you, you know he's just been shining for them, you know, Des Bryant. And again, it was kind of like the reverse of um, what we said for Detroit and everyone looking at Calvin Johnson. Well, everyone just kept singling out Bryant and sort of making sure that a safety was over the top of him so it gave the likes of like Williams and, and Witten and, and Beasley Be- Cole Beasley's really come on the last couple of weeks they just they could just completely just have the field to themselves yeah Beasley is very much in the Wes Welker type mould of slot receiver isn't he he's quick he's small uh, and he'll just kind of, and he's a great route runner as well isn't he really that's kind of what sets him apart from some of the others yeah, clutch catcher, you know, if you need him, um, even just a short catch just for the couple of yards, safe pair of hands is really, really what it boils down to, um, which wasn't uh, the case most of the night for Romo, which seems to be the problem. Yeah, Romo did make some shocking decisions, didn't he, throughout the course of the night. There were times when he had a few seconds in the pocket and then instead of throwing the ball away, he just decided to hang around um, and took a couple of big sacks. And of course, the uh, biggest sack came at the beginning of the second half which puts pushed them into a long field goal position on the back of the Stafford turnover and uh Bailey then ends up missing the field goal at the start of the second half because it, instead of it being sort of a 39 40 yard field goal got moved to 51 yards after the sack so yeah it's not not great night really for him and one I'm sure he he will try and forget but you know that said Despite being down 17-7 at halftime, second half is when Dallas came to play. Again, we've talked about it before. It's those halftime adjustments, the tweaks. How do we get certain people into the game? In the second half, they did start to get, to get the ball more to Witten in key situations on big fourth down plays. They got Des Bryant involved as well. And all in all, they made the adjustments they needed and kept the Lions to only three points in the second half. Yeah, and that, that was the majority of the thing is that... Uh is that Stafford, again, he, he he has the same problem where he will rush decisions. You can see him rushing decisions. What really sort of stood out for me is that 
what were we saying? About, I can't remember who we were saying about last week. When you've got the lead, why do you abandon the run game? This is what I couldn't understand because they almost pretty much decided to give up on the run game in the second half. I mean, when they scored their field goal at, at their highest point, there it was twenty to seven. That's a thirteen point lead. Like, kill the clock, you know, just sort of let let it burn out as much as you can. But they just allow drives to just sort of get themselves into the sort of free and out punting sort of scenario, and it just made no sense. Yeah, that's right. And of course, that's the thing, isn't it? Now, the big things from this game were the controversial call, third and one, Detroit throw the ball downfield, gets flagged as pass interference, but then of course they pick up the flag. But on third and one, when you're in control of the game anyway, why are you even passing it and worrying about a pass interference flag that ended up getting picked up? When you should be able to run and get a yard, right? You should easily be able to put the full back in there and just stumble forward for for a yard on third and one. I mean, even if you wanted to then, you could even say, is it worth to run another 40 seconds off the clock and try and get the half yard? You know, the mismanagement of the clock, it's bad call, good call, whatever call you want to say. Yeah, agreed. And I think just coming back to the pass interference, I think to the letter of the law, I think we both know it was pass interference, but... At the same time, for me, especially being a defender, if I don't make any contact with the receiver, why do I have to be looking at the ball for it not to be pass interference when I can play the ball by looking at the receiver? Because when his eyes light up and you see his hands go up, if you're the ball side of him effectively and then you put your hands up and stop the ball coming in, then that's just you being in the right place. So I don't see why that sort of thing is a penalty because it's classed as face guarding isn't it I believe if you um, don't look at the ball and try to play the ball without looking at it but you know when you're defending quick receivers you're not always going to be able to look back and and look for the ball so for me although it was yes a penalty at the same time as defender give us a break you know we're not allowed to hit defenseless receivers we've got a hit between the knee and the chest there's only so many things you do you're not even allowed to breathe on a receiver when you're running downfield with them so throw him a bone and at least you know have a look at that particular penalty and say well actually fair play if he's in the right position offense has enough advantages to their favor the fact that you you can't then readjust yourself to play because that in my opinion that's just if I'm playing the person better and I'm in the position where they want to throw the ball I have every right to be in that position well yeah then and, and this is it and for me that's why I don't think it should be a foul but it 100% was a foul but it takes more than that to, to win a game and ultimately Detroit have themselves to blame because it wasn't just that one penalty that stopped them to you know kept them to only three points in that second half so I think we should probably leave that there lots to talk about still from that game um, and one other thing actually sorry this is the penalty that was given on Dallas's second drive that led to the touchdown what was ending ended as a 99 yard drive because on fourth down when Dallas tried to block the punt, one of their defenders has dived to try and block the ball. As part of the dive, he lands at the feet of the kicker. And at that point, he's not touching the kicker. But it's because the kicker then comes down and lands on him and pulls a premiership dive out of it that he then gets a penalty. And again, for me, it's a very, very harsh penalty because almost what you're saying is you can't block a punt unless you can stay on your feet and not go anywhere near the punter. Yeah, he didn't encroach on the what I like to call the standing foot. What it was was as the kick, um, the kicking foot comes down, it ultimately has to 
hit the player on the floor to, for just the motion of your leg going up and down. You have to, from the kick up to kick coming down, and there's going to be a body in way for where you want to put your foot. And ultimately, it's just like, oh, there's someone there. Oh, flop. Um, yeah it's a harsh penalty I I appreciate (laughs) you've got to protect the punters and and the kickers so that they don't get absolutely drilled but this is something completely different this is someone trying to make a fair play on on a block and then getting penalised because the the punter takes a swan dive over his body yeah again it's things you can you can look into the game you know there's there's still not still imperfections put my teeth in but, but at the same time again I don't think that overly uh, changed the course of the game so much because again you have yes it, it extended that play because you of course they got to go from fourth uh, and get a new set of downs but then they had other times they could have stopped them and you know that penalty gave them the points it just gave them an opportunity to score where you could have stopped them again yeah that's it and and we'll we'll leave that there but suffice to say Dallas ended up coming away with the victory there 24 20 in the end so we finish off then with the second nfc game which was played on saturday evening and that is the arizona versus carolina match now to start with this game ended up a a lot more competitive than i expected it to be I must admit, it was it, you were stuck. I was stuck on two veins here with really this one because I, I still couldn't get it around my head. Bless you, Arizona fans. But I honestly, I, I think once um, Palmer went, I honestly thought that was kind of your season over, um, or at least your, your, your Super Bowl hopes over. Because the problem I had with going down to the third string quarterback is it's just not the same. And it wasn't just just Palmer going out. Your running back goes out. Your starting middle linebacker goes out. It's just. I know sometimes the the wrong injury at the wrong time can completely change the course of the, the season, let alone three or four at the wrong time. So for me, especially the first half, the first half was very competitive and I thought it was going to be a lot more closer in the second and it just seemed to just, just get away from them. Yeah, so in the first half, um, you had uh, Caroline obviously went up uh, with the first score, but then... Arizona punted away, uh, which led to the the muffed punt by Carolina, which was picked up by Arizona um, and led to their first score. And then on the back of that as well, we then had an interception from Cam Newton, uh, which uh, Cromarty uh, got onto. But when you watch the play, you do have to put that on the receiver rather on the receiver, than Cam yeah. Newton because he just completely breaks off the route, doesn't he? And just kind of forgets about the play, doesn't think it's coming to him. But lo and behold, <laughs> the ball goes sailing where Cam Newton expected him to be and it gets picked off. Yeah, Jericho Cottry, because it's weird because he's such a veteran player. He's been around the league a few years and you do see it. He almost like he's starting to do the crossing route and then he sort of breaks off it and he looks almost as if he thinks it's going to like the running back because he starts looking for like the for someone to block. It, it almost looks like, it, all right, this is going to go. He's coming across the field, sitting there going, oh, I was going to the running back. Who can I block? Just starts looking upfield, and Cam's sort of just thrown it to the area he was. And of course, the defender's just sitting there going in his zone, just sitting there going, Oh, oh, is this for me? Um, yeah, I'd definitely say that was not on Cam, that was definitely on, on Cotry. Definitely. And so at half time, Arizona were actually up in this game 14 13. So going into the second half, you were right to think that. 
you know, it was going to be quite an interesting game and, and it would look good to see how, how it was going to turn out. But unfortunately, in the third quarter, it's really where it took a, a full swing in the other way. Good old uh, Miss Momentum, as they uh, like to say, as they're saying on the Sky Sports coverage as well. So you can get, end up on any sideline at any time. And it ended up with Carolina and the Fozzie Whitaker touchdown. Really, the third quarter, what with uh, what with Lindley um, and the interception. I mean, it's just it's crazy to think that, especially in the playoffs, that your starting quarterback only can uh, amalgamate eighty-two yards in passing. It's just, like I said, I don't want to just say, oh, just because if they had Carson Palmer, they would have won the game, but they only managed to get about hundred yards, hundred twenty yards of offense. You know, you're, you're facing the best of a, another division or something like that. You, you think of where they were in the beginning of the season, Arizona and the Cardinals, uh, and how they kind of luckily they'd made so much gains at the beginning of the season that even coasting off, off the back of the injuries, they could at least make the playoffs. So do we take it then that the injuries played a massive part in Arizona's kind of stumbling into the playoffs and then um, that performance against Carolina eventually uh, catching up on them, Carolina coming away with a 27-16 victory. Do, as I say, do we think that's down to the, the injuries there or uh, was there another reason why perhaps Arizona just couldn't get it done? I don't think when you can't put on your A squad, like your entire A squad, starting squad, it's always going to be difficult. And I think Carolina was their best opponent to play because I don't think Carolina are in their A frame yet. So really, if they were going to pull off a playoff win it was against Carolina so ultimately it's I don't think either of these two teams are, are fully prepared to take on would have been fully prepared to take on Seattle yeah that's fair enough and with that said I think we are going to leave the NFC roundup there you are listening to spitball as a little breather between our roundup of all of the action I'm going to ask Marcus, what's been grinding your gears this week, buddy? You know what really grinds my gears? The fact that everyone is making such a song and dance about the Dallas um, penalty call that got picked up. I mean, it is really starting to annoy me. I mean, we've already mentioned it, that one play does or one call does not make a game. And the fact that so many people have like made a song and dance about it, I mean... Um, Coach Caldwell after the game, the press sort of uh, just jumping on the back of this. Um, if anyone watched like uh, NFL AM after um, on Monday morning after that Sunday, and it was all they could talk about. And then now I've been watching stuff like today. Uh, apparently, um, you know the that author who wrote Game of Thrones. He's caught, he, he's he's thrown his two cents in. What have you got to do with football? And if it was a call or not? You know what? At the end of the day, one team wins and one team loses, okay? Throughout the course of games, there are individual moments, individual plays where they can always change and alter the course of the game. It's not just one of them. There are 60 minutes worth of moments that can change a game. So it's doing my nut in the fact that everyone wants to make a song and dance about it. Now, was it the right call? Was it not the right call? We can talk to eternity. However... Why not let's have a look at what's going to happen this week? And, you know, the fact is that this is football like life. Sometimes it's not 
not fair. It's the human error of the game, etc., etc. You know, these aren't robots playing. These are human beings playing a human's referee, and we can make it as close as we can to getting it right. And ultimately, we do want to make the right calls because we want to make it as fair as possible. However, at the end of the day, can we not have to make such a palaver out of all of it? And for every Tom, Dick and Harry to throw in his two cents on a bloody TV or radio or podcast um, about it. <laughs> and, you know, that's what's been grinding my keys. Well, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can say, really. That's all you can say. You all can say, I feel better. That's all I can say. Now I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh, y'all want the play? Okay. Here we go. We've got gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, key left. Mercedes. Wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick going. Now we move on to the AFC, and I'm going to start the AFC wrap-up or round-up with the Cincinnati versus Indianapolis game from Sunday evening, or as I like to call it, the biggest pile of <laughs> I watched all weekend. Watching the Bengals in the playoffs, particularly without AJ Green, really is like watching paint dry. I was playing Angry Birds through most of it. It, it seems to be something fundamental. Like um, if you if you have an, uh, Andy Dalton without an AJ Green, it's like um, it's like trying to drive a car without a wheel. Yes, you can do it, but if, you know doesn't mean that it's enjoyable to do it or even if it's productive to do it. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but Dolan cannot play without AJ Green there, especially in the playoffs. Well, I don't know if you saw it, but on the NFL Network, actually, there was a very um, interesting point raised, and that was that um, I think it was by Michael Robinson, the old fullback of Seattle. He said that statistically, Dalton is a better quarterback without AJ Green because he threw over 40% of his interceptions towards AJ Green. So there you go. But on the night, it wasn't actually Dalton's turnovers that that led to the loss, really, because I'm pretty sure, and I'll I'll wait to be corrected by your good self, but Dalton didn't throw any interceptions, did he, on that in that game? No, he didn't. And, and really, um, I'm not sure what it is. I think, to be fair, I don't think it's actually just Dalton himself that's cursed. I think it's the Bengals organisation. I mean, you only have to look at, uh, at Marv, Lew- uh, Marv Lewis is now 0-6. He was 0-5 going into it in playoff games. He's now 0-6 in playoffs. And I, I don't know what it is about the Cincinnati um, franchise that for the, the past couple of years, constantly making the playoffs, you know, constantly getting there, but never turning up on the day. No, four straight seasons now, isn't it, where they've got to the playoffs and lost? Yeah, exactly. And it's um, to be fair, you have to give it to Indianapolis because Indianapolis, they actually did run the ball. And, and you could see how it improved their their air attack because, um, well, twofold actually, because Heron is just amazing. I mean, he's really been snuck away um, as a running back for them all year. And I think it's because they tried to use Trent Richardson as much as possible because I'm guessing the big deal to come over there. Um, but I think really he's that, that, that multi-versatile back that, that really allows them to run and pass in so much, so much more um, unrestricted measures, and it was because you could see that the play actions then worked because they're not like we, we saw them a couple of weeks ago, where it's not just Andrew Luck constantly throwing. I mean, there's lot, still still so much throwing. I mean, you look at it, 44 pass attempts by Andrew Luck, but it still means that you look at how much they ran. They ran for over 20 times, 
So there's there's a balance there at least. Okoye is still sort of two to one pass to run ratio, but we know they are this type of air it out football team. And with that balance, I don't think Cincinnati could ever compete because it just always felt like they were behind the score count, as it were. I mean, even when it was halftime and they were only three points behind. If you looked at where the field goals for Indianapolis were, like 30, 40 yards, and then the Mike Nugent, I mean, he had to like, squeeze in that 57-yard field goal. I mean, at least Indianapolis were getting close to the Cincinnati goal, whereas Cincinnati really, apart from the one drive in the first quarter, never really... Made. I don't even know if they even got again close to the the red zone. Indianapolis as well. They they showed in the second half that defense that kept Cincinnati out earlier in the season when they just shut them out completely. They shut down the run from Hill, so they couldn't get anything to do there. So they were relying on the likes of Sanu to try and get it going through the air. Cincinnati couldn't do that. There were just there wasn't either there wasn't enough talent on that Cincinnati offense to to give it some kind of spark. Um, or the game plan just wasn't there. And Indianapolis managed to do incredibly well and, and shut that down. And, and like we said, their defence in the end probably gave them the win there, really. Yes, and you, you have to sit there and go that, you know, Gerald Freeman, the linebacker, wow. I mean, he was praised in the media, um, especially um, by the Indianapolis, like I can't think of the defensive coordinator's name for Indianapolis, but basically said that when we asked him to step up, he has done it and sort of carried us on his shoulders to the next round. And I thought that was incredible when you think about it. Because you don't think of Indianapolis as a defensive team. You think of them as they're going to outscore you. But yeah, I've just double-checked that stat. Yep, Cincinnati, one trip to the red zone, one score, which was the, the Jeremy Hill touchdown run. That's it. One trip in the entire game, one trip to the opponent's red zone. Wow, that's bad. And just to confirm, the linebacker for Indianapolis, it's Jarrell Freeman. Yeah. Fair enough. Well... That explains Freeman, yeah. So that explains why they're so good on defense because they've got Superman's father playing for them. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I thought that might be coming. To be fair, it's been a while since I've had one of those. So, you know, <laughs> with that said, so Indianapolis won the game 26 10 in the end. And I'm going to leave it there because, quite frankly, I, I just don't want to talk about it anymore because it was, for me, quite. <sighs> if I'm sat there playing Star Wars Angry Birds instead of watching the American football, you know it's pretty dire. Trust me. I've sat through Buffalo losing 6 3 to Cleveland without going to my phone. So that's how bad that game was. And this is the playoffs. Crazy. Would it have happened if the Bills were there against Indianapolis? Uh uh. <laughs> So <laughs> we move on to the last game of the uh, roundup, and that is the AFC North division match between the Ravens and the Steelers. Now, before last week, um, I was, well, I say before last week, so before the news came out that Bell was actually going to be missing from this game, I was actually really looking forward to this. And this and the, the Dallas game was going to be like the two games of the weekend I was really looking forward to. I was going to make an effort. I was going to stay up. But without Le'Veon Bell in that Pittsburgh backfield, do we think ultimately that's what the difference was? We talked there about AJ Green not being there for Dalton makes a difference. But what about Pittsburgh not having Le'Veon Bell, who's had such an amazing season? Possibly that and the fact that I had no idea what the Steelers' secondary was playing at. The, the coverage was just shocking at times, especially, you know, you look at the likes of people like Steve Smith, Tory Smith, 
prolific stretches of the field. They're fast receivers. Even Steve Smith in his got to be like 14th season now, he can still put the Jets on. And it just seemed they were constantly trying to just play this like interim zonal thing where they could try and cover like short and long long routes because there was no real overly bombs. I think the longest pass was like about 35 yards. But all the intermediate stuff, they just kind of fell asleep on sort of like as they were sending it between. That, for me, I just I could not get my head around. Plus, the return of Halote Nada. Ah, uh, yes, of course. It was Halote Nada's first game back after his suspension, wasn't it? He was very disruptive. It was constantly just folding um, on the side that he, they, were, they were putting pressure and they were just overloading Pittsburgh. And, and Ben just... Uh, Five sacks on the day, he just did not look comfortable in the pocket. And ultimately, that's why he kind of took that 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 head knock and he had to come out for a couple of plays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what we're going to do is we are going to leave the round up there because we're just pressing on for time um, at the moment. So what I'm going to do is I am going to put highlights of all four games in the show notes for you in place of the mind-blowing plays. But because they're in place of the mind-blowing plays, I will also put a link in the show notes to the NFL.com's Can't Miss Plays for the Wild Card Weekend. I'm eating burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. Let's eat. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple! Orange! Orange! Hot potato. I don't want no crackers! Hungry, man. I gotta eat it. Feed him, he hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We eating all day, bro. We'll brown these guys up and turn them into little bitty eagle meatballs. We're going to finish off the show this week by having a look ahead to this weekend's divisional games for both the AFC and the NFC. And Marcus, which conference shall we start with? Let's see, what did we start? We started NFC in the roundup, so shall we start AFC in the predictions yeah let's go for it so the afc we have denver versus indianapolis and new england versus baltimore uh, with new england and denver being the home sides which one of those are you most looking forward to the one i'm really most looking forward to has got to be the baltimore new england just because of the whole Baltimore beating them last time um, when when they got through to uh, to the Super, um, Super Bowl and this uh, Ray Lewis's finishing Super Bowl. Um, I, it just feels like the last couple of years, Baltimore have always sort of ruffled the New England feathers. And for me, really, um, I really like to see, you know, the chess match that goes on um, when Bilicek takes on like someone, you know, because Bilicek's such a good coach. People sort of, the expectation for him to win, people aren't shocked. Um, you know, when he does beat people. But when something like Baltimore has now got a bit of a chip on its shoulder, it's like, how do they combat that? And I think New England, they've built a team around, not the not the fading legacy of um, of Brady, but we know these are the last sort of, these are the twilight years, shall we say, on his, his gentlemanly career. <laughs> and um, so I, I'd like to see how it's adaptive and you know what he's seen a lot more pressure than the last couple of years Brady has and we saw how destructive Baltimore's defensive line was on putting Ben down so I'd like to see if they try the same for Brady yeah absolutely for me this is the tie in the AFC I'm looking forward to the most just to see as you say with the history between the um the two teams and uh, it's going to be a, a great game it's defense versus offense 
um, in my opinion. And Baltimore is starting to look like that that defensive old that saw them get to the Super Bowl. So be really interesting to see how they get on, especially with Foxborough. But the weather in Foxborough and in uh, Maryland, where Baltimore play, is generally similar this time of year, isn't it? So, you know, they don't have that to worry about. Now we have Denver versus Indianapolis, and I'm intrigued to see whether that Denver defence can put a lot more pressure on Andrew Luck, and if they do, how will Andrew Luck cope with it? Yes, because he's had a, a bit of a thing about, you know, when he has had the pressure in his face, making the stupid passes and, and not releasing the ball. For me, I, I think because as well, because it's in Denver, I think they've got that boost. They've got the extra week where they've managed to prep and stuff. I, I feel just, I just, you know, like Baltimore is, you know, could be like the, the upset alert of the week and stuff like that. And I don't really see any of the others really being that sort of, I mean, we could be completely pro- proven wrong here, but um, no, I, I feel this one could just go, especially if they shut down the run game um, and we know how easy it is for them because it's not, the most prolific of run games. It's not like trying to shut down a Le'Veon Bell. So if you can shut down the run game, then, you know, how long until the Denver defense can sort of just have Andrew Luck throwing all the wrong passes? So, yeah, I, I, I can see a nice sort of two-score win for Denver here quite quite easily. Oh, wow, that's a bold statement right there. Fair play. Well, we'll come on to who you think is going to win each game shortly. But now we look at the NFC and we have Carolina versus Seattle in Seattle. Do we think Carolina stand a chance? Obviously, any given Sunday and all that, or are they just going to get absolutely obliterated? I mean, what's great? This might be one to go and play Angry Birds again. Um, I definitely <laughs> would say, I mean, because <laughs> it's in Seattle, which is eight hours behind us, and it is an eight o'clock kickoff Eastern time. So what's that? We're talking effectively a one o'clock in the a.m. here. Uh, yes, it, it'll be the nighttime game. One is that the Saturday night? Uh, is that the Sunday night game by chance, or is it? No, no, that's a, no, that's, that's a Saturday, no, that's night, Saturday game. night kickoff. Um, eight fifteen. Here it is, eight fifteen Eastern time. So yeah, so five, five hours. That will make it a, a one a.m. one a.m. kickoff. So yeah, it's not one to to stay up and, and ruin your ruin your Sunday for guys. It's getting a nice early night, you know. Finish watching. Uh, if you finish watching Baltimore. Or New England, which is a much easier time, you know, half nine till midnight. That's doable. That's doable. And then uh, maybe uh, uh, rest yourself up for Football Sunday. <laughs> yeah, with Denver, Indianapolis, and Dallas Green Bay, which is the other NFC game as well. Now that's the one that I'm looking forward to the most in the NFC battle at Lambeau between Green Bay and Dallas. Now Dallas are eight and zero on the road. Green Bay are eight and zero at home, so something's got to give in that game. And which one do you think it's going to be, Marcus? Oh, I tell you what, I'm going to one up this. This is actually my game of the weekend. Um, not just the NFC matchup I'm most most looking forward to. And yeah, oh, this is going to be brilliant because it's going to be it's going to be a question really, and I think it is going to come down to. Whereas we've we've mentioned a load of other bits and pieces, like um, you know, we've mentioned running backs, we've mentioned um, defensive lines, we've mentioned secondaries so far. This is just purely going to be down, I think, to the quarterback and which quarterback has the better game. Yeah, and of course, will Aaron Rodgers be fit to play after the injury to his calf? Uh, and by injury to his calf, I mean Ndamukong Su stepping on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. you, ah, you're right there, fella. I haven't seen you in a while. Here's a stamp on your... Uh... 
<laughs> Here's a stamp on your legs for you. Not that Ndamukong Suu is Irish, of course, but... <laughs> when did, when, when did Ndamukong Suu turn Irish? Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, not sure when he turned to Irish. all our Irish listeners for that horrible accent. Yes, exactly. Indeed, I do apologise. <laughs> but so, we'll finish up then with uh, Marcus. <laughs> who do you think is going to win between Dallas and Green Bay if I put you on the spot now? Oh, it's Green Bay win. It's in Lambo. Uh, okay, Carolina, win. Seattle. That's a silly question, isn't it? We know where that's going. Um, New England and Baltimore. Seattle. Seattle. Baltimore. Oh, upset. Okay, fair enough. And yeah. uh, Denver versus Indianapolis. Denver. So I can't just, really... Just one upset this week. I'm not going too too crazy. Fair enough. Uh, well, I'm going to go with, I think, Dallas beating um, Green Bay because Dallas, I think I'm going to make it to the Super Bowl against New England. So they're the two I'm going to disagree with you on. Mm. Yeah, just to keep things interesting. So we'll see how that plays out. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That wraps it up from us for another week. If you want to get in touch with us, if you have any questions for us, if you want to be a part of the show, if there's anything you want to, you know, you want us to tweak about the show, remember? Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Don't forget, our shows are also downloadable on iTunes. And our more recent shows are also rebroadcast on the 1800 online network, a link to which is at the side of the page. So, my good friend Marcus, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, sir. Good fun as always. Nice one. And until next time, football fans, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 